0: We're back with the conversation here on Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. We've been checking in with the state's mayors on a regular basis, and we caught up with Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell yesterday afternoon to get his thoughts about the August 1st reopening of tourism. Mayor Caldwell says it was a decision that came after a four- to five-hour meeting with all the mayors on Monday. So will Honolulu be ready to open its doors to tourists once again?
1: There's a lot that needs to be done between now and August 1st. Most of it, if not all of it, on the state side. The two critical components for me and where I have the greatest concern is, one, making sure that all the information that's gathered on paper forms is actually in a database and it's robust and available to all the screeners. Initially for Inner Island and the good news with Inner Island opening up, there's time to test this and get that working quickly and easily and people getting comfortable with it. And then, of course, absolutely, on August 1st, that data has to be in there. So as people come in, they're putting in the information, all the health information that you have to put on the form. That's number one. Number two, the Hawaii Department of Transportation will get this done. I think under Ford Fujikami's leadership, he will get it done. He made a commitment to mayors to get it in operation well before that time. The second part is Department of Health in terms of testing, contact tracing, isolation, and then support for those who, when they're isolating, may not be able to take care of themselves. And the critical one for Oahu is the contact tracing. You know, if you look at what the experts are saying, you need approximately three to 400 contact tracers that have been tried and true. They've gone through their paces and and are ready to respond as we have more cases. And Department of Health is in the process of doing that. They have probably around 50 contact tracers right now, and they've assured us they're going to have well over 300 by August 1st. But the proof is in the pudding, right? You got to see it. And hopefully between now and August 1st, they'll have the team in place because we're seeing, as you know, an uptick. We saw more cases today from previous days. We know that as we open up, even with the screens we have in place, with the temperature taking, with the negative test requirements, we're going to see more cases. And we can handle the cases as long as Department of Health has all their things in place to manage it. If that does not occur, we could have, we could lose control. The state could lose control and we could see a problem where we'd have to slow down the opening up or even step back. And I think most people on the island of Oahu would find that extreme unacceptable.
0: And this first week of August, I think that's when a lot of students return back to school.
1: That's right. People will start to go to school, although I'm not certain how many kids from Hawaii are going to be going to school on the continent this coming fall. I've heard that some schools are opening, but I've heard many others have decided to do a distance learning into the winter period on the hope that there'll be a vaccine by then. But it, it's going school by school. I've heard some are opening, some are not. And we'll have to see how many local kids decide to venture up to the East East Coast or West Coast. As you know, I mean, in our orders, our Restore Honolulu orders, we've actually allowed schools to start to um, begin in class learning again. We've allowed HPU and Chaminade and others, but other even private schools to begin the process of teaching kids in classrooms. Of course, with a lot of modifications with mask wearing and physical distancing and that kind of thing, but you are right, schools will be opening up on each of the islands under the conditions that the mayors have set. and there's going to be an increase in the number of cases. I think part, part of the reason we're seeing the increases now is because of our opening up and, and relaxing what was at one time a stay-at-home work at home order. Now people are out and about going to restaurants and you know getting their hair cut, and working out in gyms and all those kind of things and and unless they're really careful, Everyone is really careful. You're going to see th- this virus spread, and I think you're seeing the- some examples of that in our community here on Oahu and on the neighbor islands, too.
0: What's the feedback that you've been getting as you relax these restrictions?
1: I think people are somewhat appreciative because they realize we need to thaw out our economy. If there's going to be jobs for people on this island, at the same time, I think they're concerned. And, you know, I still hear from people that say, even though you open up the restaurants, I'm not going. I try to go to restaurants on a regular basis now all around town. I try to go to ones that have outdoor dining One, it's safer. And two, it's a unique program we've implemented here on Oahu to help those restaurants who may not have the same seating capacity because they have to be six feet apart. They don't have to be 50% occupied, but they got to be six feet apart at the tables. So we've allowed them to move out into our parking lots and sidewalks and malls and sides of parks to help them with that. So I try to go to those places to um, to show support. It was nice and to um, see.
0: I was down on uh, Montserrat earlier in the morning and uh, a yeah. coffee place had put out tables and it was just so nice. Yeah, it's really
1: nice. So I went to 12th Avenue Grill the other night and sat outside by the parking lot. I went to Surfing Pig and Kamuki on Wailai Avenue. And then this past weekend, I went to Tango's and sat outside. And it was really nice. And I, I hope this program we can maybe even continue once there's a vaccine and we go back, but allow more outdoor dining like great cities around the world. People are concerned, right? They still don't want to go, but they'll go if they can sit outside. And there's examples of that um, all over. Today, the big question in the, in the Star Advertiser, Honolulu Star Advertiser was, you know, are you, do you feel safe going out? A surprising number, over 50%, felt they didn't feel that safe yet. That gives me hope, by the way, that people are really following the requirements of mask wearing and uh, or face coverings and physical distancing. And I think people in Hawaii and on Oahu, we follow rules and requirements a lot better than up on the continent. I think part of it is we look at ourselves as one big ohana. We don't want to get each other sick, or neighbors and family and friends sick, and coworkers. So we're a little bit more careful in a place like Texas. I was reading uh, about New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, and guys from Florida have to quarantine uh, guys from Texas and those kind of places. And I thought, these are three states that had huge outbreaks. And the epicenter for a while was New York. I don't know exactly how they enforce a quarantine in those three states in particular. you got the New Jersey Turnpike, I-95. you got, you got so many different freeways and roadways going through those three states. You know How do you make someone quarantine when they're just driving in, in and out when they want? Having said that, I think you know, they're, they are concerned, and it, so it should be a heads up for us. You know, the, the thing that really flattened the curve was all the hard work of the people of Oahu and the other counties. And more credit goes to, I think, our geography, you know, in the middle of the Pacific, and we're separated from each other by water from island to island. And we're able to really stamp out the virus to a large degree. And now as we open up, still a quarantine's in place. But if you come in with a negative test, then you can come in. And of course, you can come in just like you right now can do and have to quarantine for 14 days. But as you see more and more people coming in, and they agree to quarantine, it's really based on Compliance, right? It's going to be hard for the Honolulu Police Department to enforce quarantine on thousands of people who are supposed to be quarantining. So um, we're hoping that people will instead choose the route of getting a test, showing that it's negative, and then we don't have to worry about enforcement because people are complying. And some people believe that's going to happen, by the way, Catherine. People want to come here because it's the safest state in the Union. It looks different than anywhere else. It doesn't feel like you're in America, but you're in America. And they're going to be willing to get a negative, get a test, pay for a test, have it shown negative, and know that when they get on the plane, there'll be more people on the plane that are negative or at least tested negative. And when they get here, they're going to feel safer. And so people think there'll be a lot of people getting the test first before they come. And I'm hoping that's correct.
0: You have relaxed the restrictions. Gatherings I think are limited to I believe what is a hundred outside a hundred,
1: fifty inside.
0: Yes. And We just did a show on sporting events, and I know based on best information and and the number of cases, Honolulu will make a decision about whether uh, some of these events can can go later in the fall.
1: There was a story in the New York Times that the New York Marathon has been canceled. It takes place in the fall, in November, and a decision was made by Mayor Cuomo to um, not allow the marathon to go forward. Now, our Honolulu Marathon is not until December. I keep hoping, hope upon hope, that perhaps there will be a vaccine by then, or a really good treatment if you get covid19 the way things are going you know it looks less hopeful and you know perhaps we'll have to follow the way of of new york of course the decision will be made in large part by those who put on the honolulu marathon but to your point you know is right now we have a limit on gatherings 50 inside 50 people inside and a hundred outside that means a gathering where you're inviting people to come together of course if and i don't know if you've done it you should go down to waikiki beach on the weekend it is filled with thousands of local people now, they've taken back the beach. You're seeing a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Now, there's a lot of people, they're not invited to gather there, but when you have an event where you're saying, we want you to come to something, the limit is and 100. We actually looked at increasing it up to 250 um, and got some hard questions of Department of Health and thinking it was premature to do it. And so we have not done it, but there's going to be a push. But even at 250 people outdoors, that's not a lot of people when you're talking about a marathon or, or, you know, a half marathon or other things. And so how do you how do we get around this? It, it's a good question. I think part of it is what kind of conditions do you have? You could have a lot of people in a place, but if they're spread six feet apart and they're wearing a mask, now if you're running, impossible to do. But there are certain events where you could maybe spread people out. You may not get the numbers that you used to get, but you get could get a fair number. And this again depends on what we see as we open up inner island, and then of course travel from outside the state. And if Department of Health can manage increased number of cases, and control it and make sure there's enough ventilators and IC rooms and all of that, it's a valid thing to start talking about to invite larger gatherings.
0: But you think it will be a gradual number as opposed to 100 and then large crowds?
1: I think it'll be gradual. But, you know, we've also talked, you could see things like you could maybe have football back in Aloha Stadium or volleyball or basketball inside Stan Sheriff, but perhaps testing would be a component of all players, both the local team, home team, and course those coming in to play and perhaps initially no spectators you know the soccer started to be played again in europe in spain and germany germany for over a month now but with no spectators so maybe the first thing is having sports being played where at least people can watch from afar from tv and then maybe you could allow spectators in but spread apart you know so you wouldn't have stan sheriff at ten thousand. you may have stan sheriff with a couple thousand spread all over it's starting to open it up getting back to a more normal way
0: you know normally summertime we see the canoe regattas canoe clubs out there racing
1: yeah you know that would be something more safe you know being in a canoe regatta outside outside is always better than inside the you know you can't wear you probably, It'd be hard to wear a mask you are kind of close together when you're in a canoe and you're breathing hard on each other's back as you paddle and so that's a concern but you know these are things we need to look at come july 3rd you can have we've allowed to two phases right now you can go into our parks And you can practice football. You can have the Pee Wee, Pop Warner football team practicing, but not competitively against another team. But come July 3rd, you're going to be able to have competitive games. So you're going to have kids bumping up against each other. They won't be wearing masks. So we're moving in that direction already, opening up to more competitive types of sports being played.
0: We've been talking with Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell. Now it's time to take a look on the other side of the world The World Health Organization says it desperately needs more funds to adequately fight the pandemic as daily infections in the US reach a record high. Here's the BBC with the latest.
2: This is the coronavirus global update on Friday, the 26th of June. I'm Alex Ritson. The World Health Organization says it desperately needs more money to fight the pandemic. Daily infections in the US are at a record high, and panic buying returns to Australia. The World Health Organisation says that it's raised only a tenth of what it needs to fight coronavirus, leaving a shortfall of nearly $28 billion to be found as a matter of urgency. The money would buy diagnostics, treatments and vaccines to help poor countries deal with COVID-19. Imogen Folks reports from Geneva, where the WHO is based.
3: From the start of the pandemic, the WHO has said that until every country is free of the coronavirus, no country is free The purchasing power of wealthy countries means they now have enough testing kits and supplies of drugs thought to be useful in treatment. But poorer countries do not. A huge surge in cases in a low-income country could not only devastate that nation itself, but if cases spread, could put the whole world back into lockdown.
2: The United States has recorded an all-time daily high of 40,000 coronavirus infections, according to figures from Johns Hopkins University. 29 states are experiencing new surges in cases, especially in the south and west of the US. More tests are being carried out. Craig Spencer, an expert in global health based in New York, says that COVID-19 can't be contained right now.
4: This is just a steady continuous increase all across the country
1: what we're going to see is this virus really just roll around the country causing these hot spots and it may be arizona texas uh, the carolinas and florida today but in a few weeks it could absolutely be the dakotas and it could be new mexico and it could be somewhere else because that's just what this virus does and it does it really really
2: well Staying in the US, a survey suggests that nearly one-third of African Americans personally know someone who has died of coronavirus, compared with just 9% of white people and 17% of Hispanics. The poll of just over a 1,000 people also suggests that around 83% of African Americans believe controlling the virus is more important than restarting the economy, compared with around half of white Americans. The survey was carried out by the Washington Post and the market research company Ipsos. People in the UK have been warned by the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, against taking too many liberties as coronavirus lockdown restrictions are relaxed. Towns on the south coast of England have been inundated with sunseekers as temperatures rose above 30 Celsius in the past few days. Social distancing wasn't observed and the government has said that beaches could be closed if rules are flouted. Mr Johnson urged people to be responsible. If you look at what's happening elsewhere in the world where people have been coming out of lockdown, uh, I'm afraid what you're also seeing is uh, people uh, taking too many liberties with the guidance, uh, mingling too much, not observing social distancing. So some parts of the world won't name them, but you've got spikes, really serious spikes in the incidence of the, of the disease. Uh, the virus is still out there. Uh, to, to win, to beat this thing, we have to stay alert. Supermarket chains in Australia are re-imposing limits on toilet paper and other essential household items following a rise in cases in the state of Victoria. Video on social media has shown empty supermarket shelves. Phil Mercer reports from Sydney. Panic buying in Australia is back. It had waned as the country managed to contain COVID-19, but a spike in infections in Victoria has seen anxiety and empty shelves return to the aisles. Shoppers in Victoria face restrictions on hand sanitizer, flour, pasta and rice. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, had this blunt advice to hoarders. Stop it. It's ridiculous. A new study has found that a range of neurological and psychiatric complications that may be linked to coronavirus... The research, published in the journal Lancet Psychiatry, suggests that medics should look out for signs of altered mental state in COVID-19 patients. More than 150 of them in the UK were observed for the study, which was led by Dr Benedict Michael. What seems potentially to be more common is that the body's immune response perhaps overreacts and we talk about inflammation in the brain even though the virus is actually not present in the central nervous system and then of course particularly when it comes to psychiatric diagnoses, we have to think about what are the potential impacts of being hospitalized with a potentially terminal and very severe illness in the context of a pandemic on the mental health of patients and that was the coronavirus global update
4: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, now offering Master of Science programs in finance, marketing, and information systems starting this fall. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, my name is Matthew Fox. I'm author of The Tao of Thomas Aquinas.
1: Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about First Wisdom for Hard Times. Sunday morning at 11.
5: I'm Ira Plato. This week on Science Friday, the tale of a man who can't see the numbers two through nine. When he looks at a digit, it appears to him like
6: spaghetti. It's, it's just this tangled mess.
5: What can his experience teach us about the way we make sense of what we see? It's all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Starting this afternoon at one.
0: This morning, the state legislature is set to vote on key bills, a, a state, the state budget, and a spending plan for the Federal CARES Act funding to offset job losses in our community. Bills covering public worker raises and police transparency are also on the checklist. Representative Del Albaladi joined us to give us her perspective. She expressed her concern as a parent about wanting to know more about the plan for reopening public schools in the fall. The House Majority Leader gives us an overview of this first week back in session after a long recess.
6: We did a lot, but, but key to all of this was the CARES funding and determining how, would, how we would spend $635 million of federal funds. And I, I'm proud to say, I, I, you know, I think we really uh, rolled up our sleeves and we've um, put together a package that will really address the immediate needs of people, especially those who are unemployed. $230 million is going to be uh, allocated for uh, a state enhanced weekly benefit of $100 a week when the $600 federal plus up um, disappears. We also put together a $100 million package that will result in rent relief for individuals. with. with we calculated it will be about 34,000 households. And what it will be about, it will be about $500 a month rental assistance or 50%, whichever is lesser, for households um, from August through the end of the year. So, you know, we are in a situation where we may have um, high unemployment rates for a while. Tourism is going to come back slowly. We know that there might be surges in the coronavirus. So we really wanted to provide for the immediate um, needs of the people of the state. I think lawmakers
0: have gone back and forth on the uh, transparency issue for police misconduct. On the records for that you also have issues about collective bargaining our conference
6: committee pushed out a police reform bill that does make disclosure of those uh, officers who have been suspended uh, after the uh, adjudication of their issues of for misconduct so we those their names will be now made available to the public I think that's really important transparency uh, elevates trust in government we also are requiring the law enforcement standards board giving you a little bit more time for them to finish their I believe their rulemaking as well as ensure that they 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 established statewide policies for police departments across the state. With respect to the collective bargaining bills, That's another very important issue because it means funding for our essential government workers. We know that government workers are the front lines, and they had negotiated their pay raises, their salaries. And so we had to come in and fund those as well. And so that's going to be done also on Friday.
0: The uh, pay raises that have been negotiated, where are we going to get the money to pay those out?
6: So, you know, one of the things that we did with the budget was we, we ensured that there was money that the government, the governor could tap into this includes the ability of the governor to, to borrow funds from the municipal lending fund. We also were able to um, identify vacancies and then put those monies aside. And so what we did was we, we took um, all of those monies and, and were able to identify those to be able to make sure that we could pay for all of the needs and government services um, that are going to be required in the year ahead. Um, I will say that another thing is, is that the way collective bargaining works is that it's a negotiation between the executive and the unions and the legislature's role is really to approve or reject it. And at this point in time, the governor did send those arbitrated agreements down to the legislators for, for approval, essentially. And so I think as we move forward, you know, it's really important that we go ahead because this was agreements made. For fairness, we want to make sure that we do pay all of those essential government workers who are out there. And what we do know is that from the last recession, furloughs and cuts actually slowed down economic recovery. So one of the things I think that future legislators will have to, to consider and, and watch really closely is as we move out of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, we need to see where our, co- our economy goes. And we have to be able to assess at that point, you know, what, what's going to happen. And then, and then again, the collective bargaining process starts over again.
0: Can lawmakers at this point insert, let's say, a, a payment schedule, you know, backload the raises that have been negotiated if we don't have the funds up front? Collective
6: bargaining is a process where legislators don't insert themselves into that, that process. It's actually a very dangerous precedent to set Because what is negotiated, what is arbitrated, is what should be honored. And once uh, uh, legislators set the precedent of getting involved in that, then that disrupts the entire process moving forward. I think what really needs to happen at this point is um, we need to ensure that essential government services don't stop. Because what we're talking about are... these are the frontline workers these are the social workers the nurses in the public hospital system the high school principals the school cafeteria workers the educational assistants all of these people as we shut down continued working and we need to make sure that they can keep working um, so that our economy um, can continue at least the state part of the state government is also remain strong as a sector and move Forward and then really assess what our revenues are going to be like.
0: I know at this point in time, a lot of folks are looking toward the school year. But what are your concerns at this point?
6: I actually am a public school parent. I have a daughter in elementary school and a daughter in high school, and I'm very concerned. It is not reassuring to me that there isn't a more Mm -hmm. robust plan about how school is going to open. I hear from far too many teachers that they kind of don't know what's going on and that there's a lack of communication uh, and understanding of what the plan is to reopen. So as a public school parent, as a legislator, I'm very concerned. You know, I think distance learning in the months of March, April, and May were a real struggle. So, you know, when I had, uh, just a few weeks ago, when the superintendent mentioned that perhaps it would be only elementary school kids that might be coming, it wasn't clear who was supposed to be coming back into schools, and my, my view was, At this point in time, they should have a plan to reopen all schools, elementary and high schools. And it just seems like there is such a a lack of plans coming out from the Department of Education. The school year is August 4th. They should be telling parents now... No, or at least certainly by July, what to expect in August. Parents struggled with distance learning. They struggled with connectivity. Many schools were just left with enrichment packets. That, quite frankly, I mean, I know that our teachers were trying really hard. Everyone was under quite a lot of stress, but we can't have another year like what we had over the last three months of the last school year.
0: I guess it's the uncertainty that's very stressful for families.
6: It is uncertainty. I will say that I think on the child care side, that child care centers, while they um, had reduced hours, there was actually some um, child care facilities that continued because they had to continue for essential workers um, in March, April, and May. I think with the guidance that's coming off from the Department of Human Services, uh, my hope is that the early child care facilities are in their planning stages now, and like the Department of Education, will be able to reopen safely for those preschools that that should and need to be open sometime in August. I think what we're going to see in the early child care arena and in the Even in the public schools and the the private schools, is you're going to see groupings of students. My hope is that all of them can start in in person, you know, with physical learning in person and in place, because you know that's where we know that there's the best opportunity for learning and socializing. But of course, I think they're going to have to have contingency plans of in the event that there might be positive cases um, on site, or if we see a surge and then that requires us to return to some you know, under some stay-at-home orders, which, of course, I I hope does not happen. But I think when you see surges in other places where schools might have to plan to, like, go to half capacity, there needs to be contingency plans for that to happen. And that needs to be communicated very clearly to parents. I think parents are going to have to be ready for potentially having their children do some in-person and at-home distance learning. But the more communication always, the better. That was Representative
0: Della Bellotti, House Majority Leader and mother of two students in public schools, sharing her concern about not seeing a plan yet from the DOE about the fall opening.
4: Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Locations and Honolulu Waldorf School. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, my name is Matthew Fox. I am author of The Tao of Thomas Aquinas. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about first wisdom for hard times. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, with a collection reflecting the island's cultural diversity and a commitment to presenting art that inspires. More about its July 16th reopening at honolulumuseum.org
0: honolulu Lucille beats reality check looks at how COVID 19 has put a strain on day-to-day military operations and training efforts uh this morning we introduce you to a new member of the online newsroom uh, kevin Nodell. he is a reporter for the uh, report for america corps uh, good morning kevin
5: good morning kevin good to be here
0: yeah so you're going to be focusing on military issues and your story today covers a lot of ground uh, including, you know, the fact that the military isn't really disclosing, you know, where these positive COVID cases pop up?
5: No, um, they, they did initially uh, do some local reporting on the island until uh, orders came down from the Pentagon to stop reporting locally, uh, at least not publicly. Uh, the Pentagon is still sharing numbers with uh, local state officials. So when the... the um, when the health department reports total numbers for the state, that includes military numbers.
0: Yeah, I know we have that map of the uh, zip codes, and you can see that it stretches and includes, you know, the uh, Kaneohe uh, Marine Base, uh, uh, you know, as well as Pearl Harbor. But we just don't know the actual numbers, and they aren't released publicly to all of us.
5: No, they're not. Um the reasoning for that was from a uh, defense secretary, Mark Esper, who argued that that was needed on, on national security grounds. He was concerned that reporting high case numbers within military populations in specific areas could alert foreign adversaries to vulnerabilities in areas if, uh, I mean, military speak, if readiness were to be impeded. Um, if you have a lot of sick soldiers, they might be more vulnerable and be less able to respond quickly to a crisis.
0: Yeah. So talk about the effect it's had on the training.
5: Well, it's a lot of training has been suspended or it had been suspended. Some of it's gradually getting back on track. Um, A lot more of the day to day operations is being done um, distant, uh, remote, Um, a lot more masks, a lot more gloves. RIMPAC, the largest naval exercise um, worldwide, um, and it's a biannual event out here, is going to be held entirely offshore this year um, and probably is going to be much smaller. They're not entirely sure how many of the world's navies are going to actually attend, but uh, we, we can probably expect around half. Give or take, possibly less um, as we get closer to it and as other countries make decisions on what they're going to do. Um, but uh, sailors will not be coming aboard for sure. Uh, they aren't going to be going into Honolulu, uh, so they're not going to be bar hopping or going to the hotels.
0: Right. And, uh, you know, as part of your story, you also uh, talked about the uh, order that uh, um, uh, General Hara. Uh, put out about the exemptions that the military families have uh, to the 14-day quarantine. And that caused a little hullabaloo at the city council about, you know, fairness.
5: It did, I though I also think that uh, there, there's been a lot of confusion about what that actually means. Uh, it's not as if—HARA so. Hara did grant exemptions to them, so they are not subject to state authorities, but most of them are then— subject to their own authorities so the army the navy the coast guard the air force they become responsible for these families once they come in and most of their commanders are giving them guidance to continue abiding by the policies they have their own policies which are sometimes either very similar to or outright identical to the state's policies
0: right and uh, as part of your story brought out which is uh, the new thing uh, which i learned was that the coast guard uh, the problems with the Coast Guard uh, were what really triggered this uh, of the different branches.
5: Right. Um, when I when I inquired, they they told me that it had initially been requested by the Coast Guard, and they they took some time to figure out what they were going to do. And when I talked to the Coast Guard about it, the reasoning was that unlike a lot of the other bases, unlike a lot of the other branches. Uh, The Coast Guard is considerably smaller. Uh, They don't necessarily have the resources or the space on their bases to welcome new families when they come in. Um, And also, for most of the branches, most of it is based around Oahu. Um, There's a lot more postings around the islands for the Coast Guard, and sometimes they'll be posted in places where food delivery and pharmacy delivery – like. All right. Well, uh, uh, good for you for
0: for finding that uh, new fact out. But thanks so much, Kevin. That was reporter Kevin Nodell with today's Reality Check. To read a story, visit civilbeat.org.
4: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Nikos Kailua, located near Aikahi Shopping Center, with its lunch menu available for curbside pickup and takeout from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Tuesday through Sunday. Menu at NikosKailua.com. Tune in to HPR One Saturday night for the next Hawaii Public Radio presents Blue Note virtually
1: live. This week, singer-songwriter John Cruz plays songs ranging from Hawaiian to blues, folk, R&B, and more. A winner of Grammy and Nahoku Hanohano awards, Cruz is beloved for his captivating guitar playing, soulful vocals, and compassionate heart.
4: That's Saturday at 6 p.m., tune in to HPR One or listen on your smart speaker. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from University Health Partners of Hawaii, the faculty practice of the John A. Burns School of Medicine. In-person and telemedicine services include OBGYN, speech and hearing, and surgery. UHPHawaii.org.
0: Olinda Mondays and Wellness Wednesdays. Maui Seabury Hall begins reaching out to families next week. What to expect for the fall when students return to the classrooms? We talked to head of school Maureen Madden about adapting to COVID-19 and the changes to the school's arts and music programs.
7: We're starting to reach out to the parents. I do a, a message to the parents every week called Olinda Monday, and we will actually be putting out information every Monday. Rather than put out a big document, we'll probably do something comprehensively once we have all of the finite details, but I'm going to start sharing information with parents next Monday. And then also on Wednesdays, we send out health information, Wellness Wednesday, and basically talking about the health and safety aspect of how we're going to monitor our students and our staff. So the students are not moving in in set groups. Every student has a different program. And so moving them around and saying, well, okay, this is the group they've been with. You can do that to a point. We would rather move ahead and use our campus. We feel like our campus is our best asset. Uh, we have a large campus. We have a lot of open spaces, a lot of covered spaces, a lot of places where we can separate students and divide them, um, still keeping the engagement, which is so important with face-to-face learning, um, without isolating them or you know, putting them behind plastic screens. So it really is much of our design with our schedule and how we plan on bringing the students back and how we plan on engaging them in the learning is going to be using that campus space. But it's very difficult to say, well, this was the group that was together. You know, here is the outbreak, so they've only interacted with these five or six people or these ten people. Um, That would be very difficult. I mean, obviously, we're going to do everything that we can to trace as much as possible but it's still in process on how we're going to keep the kids as safe as possible every single day Um, and making them aware, you know my focus has always been empowering students it's very easy to say here's the rule follow this this is what you're going to do and our focus this year is empowering learning and empowering the students to keep themselves safe having all of the tools there for them reminding them of protocols, reminding them of expectations, but encouraging them to be smart and engage with each other in a very safe manner.
0: So what is the school doing to modify its arts programs, whether it's theater arts or singing?
7: That's really interesting because I I was reading somewhere that they said, you know, singing, apparently the act of singing really just um, has been indicated as a spread, you know, just because you're mouth is open. Now, I'm not a singer, so (laughs) I'm not really sure the science of it. Um, But we're looking at how we place students. They'll be um, rehearsing in small groups. Um, They'll be, you know, doing their lessons in, you know, different areas of the campus. We have a very large creative arts center. Um, You know, we have areas outside where they can be in small groups, and we can work with them together in those. So that's something that the teachers have been working on. A lot of the teachers have been planning collaboratively since last spring on how can we do this better? How can we do this safer? What are the kinds of creative ways that we can look at what we've always done to continue to have that same essential, you know, the essential learning, but with a different approach um, so that the kids don't feel like you're taking something away from them. I think that was the hardest part of this whole process is kids felt like they lost something and our focus is to how do you keep it? How do you continue to learn? How do you engage? How do you empower your learning without feeling like we're taking something away?
0: So what about things like band and orchestra? I'm not sure you know, if you offer those types of things.
7: We have band and you know, band will continue. It will be small groups most of the lessons are in very small groups all of our classrooms and I'm sure other schools have mentioned this all of our classrooms are going to have sanitation stations so as students come in there will be obviously the hand sanitizer there will obviously some kind of um, alcohol-based wipes for them to wipe down keyboards whether they're on their laptops or Chromebooks to wipe down their instruments students have their own instruments obviously and they will be appropriately spaced, whether it's in the band room or it's outside. And so most of the lessons for, you know, for voice, for chorus, for band, they are done in small groups and then they're brought together to rehearse. So we're hoping that by the time they have to all come together we'll have even better solutions on how we can do that.
0: Okay, and the same goes for the theater classes, the drama hey, classes? same
7: goes for theater. You know, again, it depends on what the students signed up for, what course they're taking. You know, we're not looking at doing a cast of thousands production this year, um, uh-huh. but we're hoping that we can at least get the kids on the stage and figure out a way to allow them to, to perform.
0: Right, because I remember that you had a big musical thing going.
7: We did, uh. we did, yeah. And we were going to do another one this year, and, I, you know, I, I said to David Ward, I said, you know, what can we do? Let's do another one. You know, this is, of course, pre-March. And I said, let's do another one. What can we do to, you know, really, really get the, you know, as many kids involved as possible? And now we're rethinking that and um, looking at, well, it would be really nice to have some productions. Maybe they're very small. Maybe they're one acts. Maybe they are, you know, an opportunity because I do feel like, the kids want to be up on stage, parents want to come see them, you know, they miss that part of coming and enjoying what the kids are doing and seeing their growth and seeing their performances. How can we do that in ways to have that engagement in the safest possible way? And that's what everybody is is sharing ideas and coming up. Nobody has the perfect answer. Um, We're all, I think, this is the most collaborative I've ever seen teachers and schools and different school districts of people sharing, like, this is what we're doing, and we think this because. And I think the why is really important. That's always a big question. Well, why are we doing this? And if we can explain and, and share and communicate to our students and our parents and our teachers, here's the decision we made, and this is the why behind it. And this is why we believe it's going to be safer and beneficial educationally for everyone. You know, we're hoping that that empowerment piece comes in.
0: So hopefully there won't be, like, pushback if you're requiring, let's say, masks of of the students when they come on campus. And, And there may be some that don't agree with that.
7: Yeah. Well, you know what? If you want to be here, you have to wear a mask. Um, You know, we definitely, we've ordered masks for all of our students and teachers, and everyone will be expected to wear masks. We do anticipate that we will be doing temperature checks. Our housekeeping and house cleaning is, you know, increased tremendously. Usually housekeeping was done at the end of the day. When students leave now, it will be ongoing during the course of the day, you know, doorknobs and railings and tables and outside areas and desks in between classes. So it will be a, a constant awareness that everyone has to be a part of this process if you want to be here on campus. You know, if you want to be here on campus, this is, this is what everybody wants. We know it's better for kids. We know that there's tremendous learning that was done with distance learning, but that's not for everybody, and, and some kids did really well with it. And some kids were really very, very sad and, and lost so much of – interactive aspect of, of education. So the rules are going to be, you know, here's what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Here's how you can help and how you can be a part of it so that we can be Together every day. You know, my librarian just sent me an article saying that when books are returned to the library, the virus is gone after three days. Whereas before they thought it was longer than that. So, you know, every day they learn something new, like, okay, kids can return the books to the library, they sit there in a box before you return them to the shelves, you know, and it's like those are kind of very conscious things I guess we have to be thinking about. Because there is such a desire that I see from our parents and our students to be back on campus. I mean they accepted the distance learning because they knew that we didn't have a choice and some loved it you know some thought it was great you don't go to class in your pajamas it's awesome you know but for others they really really missed that interaction and our parents have said to us like will we be back face to face we're doing our best with plans that if we have to close temporarily whether it's for five days or two weeks or three days to do a deep cleaning then we will
0: that was maureen madden head of school at maui seabury hall This morning, we are talking social media and our lives online. HPR's Noe Tanigawa joins us this morning. Hi
3: there. Hey, Catherine. Well, you know, we all know the offices and classrooms have all moved right into our kitchens now, right in the bedroom. And what that means is, of course, they're online. So I was so happy to have an opportunity to talk to Gwen Waltz. Co-founder, CEO, Wahine Media, digital marketing and social media agency. They founded here in 2010. they got clients across the country now. And they've really been monitoring just the whole social media environment. Five, six years ago, Walt said that Hawaii's online digital landscape was a little different. Like, people weren't really recognizing it as an advertising platform or even a platform to get together as much. But right now, the trends, you know, are pretty much the same going across. And she says with huge numbers of people, bored online, wow, people are really wondering what's coming next. There are some people who are managing to use their time to sort of leverage new possibilities available on the web. And what Gwen Waltz says is that since COVID-19, there have become some smart ways that advertisers and personalities are making use of this like giant new playground that everybody's in. Here's Gwen Waltz on that
8: covid aside with the whole migration over to zoom video and live streaming is really proving to pay off in the end robust video content businesses who are creating video content are seeing better performing ads better performing posts live streaming to me is really bringing back the i'm going to put you know air quotes in this the social in social media You know, for any businesses that's willing to live stream and give their fans a real-time insider scoop, like a human conversation, really an unpolished glimpse inside their brand, I think is really embracing social media. And live streaming is a perfect way to
3: do that. Kind of makes sense, right, Catherine? And that is kind of what we see is your friend kind of enticing even you know to us right another growing trend she says is ephemeral media media that's there briefly like tiktok and instagram stories because it (laughs) kind of gives you the feeling you just gotta be there right then
0: that's so interesting i mean i've talked to friends who you know started with the zoom thing and started doing yoga and exercise classes via zoom and now they're saying you know i'm over this novelty it's like Ended already. <laughs> Let's go back in person.
3: But are you ready to go back in a gym, Catherine? No. Uh uh-huh. <laughs> Well, you swim, and that is the good thing, you know. And and people are looking for ways that they can connect. You know, you swim, you can do that kind of in a solitary fashion. Other people need to connect, and they have been doing that online. Um, Walt says they've been turning to IGTV. You know, it's the sort of video section of Instagram. It's Facebook's challenge to YouTube. I mean, you know, Kauai's mayor, he got us all around, right, for his use of social media during this crisis. Nair Caldwell, he's done an IGTV segment. And what they do is serialize posts so that, you know, you've got to keep watching, see what happens. Hmm. I mean, as tourism restarts, Wolf says, local businesses can use these things you know about social media to uh, leverage the situation. There is
8: one particular way in how you can target people in the social advertising interface, which can be leveraged unique to Hawaii. You can target anybody who is currently traveling in a specified area. So if you are a brand or a business in Hawaii who wants to reach people who are currently here in Hawaii now, you can do that through social advertising. This is all data that is willingly given to Facebook. This is not like a, a invasion in privacy. This is just based upon user settings. So that one particular way in which Facebook can target travelers in particular, I think that that's something really to point out, especially for Hawaii's visitor industry.
3: <laughs> I was trying to imagine that, and it would be like it when this person from Iowa was in Haleiwa. Suddenly, businesses in that area would know and maybe be able to make themselves known, you know. It's interesting how that can happen, she says, really fairly easily. And another recent development, this is so interesting, Wolves wants local businesses to jump on shoppable tags. It's the ability for shoppers to buy through photos that they see on Pinterest, Facebook, or Instagram. They don't have to just go to your website. Shoppable tags was an app released only in March as covid shopping kind of took hold so um we're really waiting to see the kind of impact they have
0: okay so it's and basically a shortcut you see something yeah. and you're like oh i want to buy that and then you click it and then you can order it
3: yeah right there Curious. Then. it's so interesting it's by having your catalog there available on the mainframe which would be facebook or Google or, or whatever platform they're using. I mean, established media sites have seen the most growth. I mean, we look at across this whole landscape. There's so many um, small startups and interesting things that happen, TikTok and Switch and so on. But established media sites have been the ones that have really seen the growth, Catherine. It's interesting. New York Times and Washington Post websites, their traffic is up over 50%, they said. And this is interesting, too. The more partisan sites um, have seen stagnant or even declining numbers and the appetite for local news has really grown people want to know how they're going to be affected by you know all the all the big stuff
0: yeah that is interesting you know just how our habits are changing with this COVID-19 thing and and the pandemic so yeah be kind of curious to see what happens on the other side of this
3: (laughs) well one thing they mentioned, with professional sports out of the picture, video gaming, whoa.
0: Yeah, <laughs> through the roof, through the <laughs> roof.
3: So are you shopping more online? I am. I have yet to play a video game online, though, but, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, my husband's getting into Scrabble and stuff online. Yeah, it's
0: it's changing our lives, isn't it?
3: It really is. All it's right. More ways to stay
0: connected. Yeah, yep. Well, hope to see you in person soon.
3: <laughs> All right. Thanks, Catherine. All right. Thanks so much, <laughs> Noe.
0: Stay safe. Bye. We have been talking with HPR's Noe Tanigawa about social media and how our lives have changed online with COVID-19. Well, that's our show for today on this Aloha Friday. Coming up next week, we check in with Hawaii Preparatory Academy on the Big Island about how it plans to handle boarding during the social distancing and COVID-19. Are you worried about your child returning back to the classroom this fall? Call or talk back line or reach out via social media. Our program is produced by Lillian Song, Harrison Pitino, and Jason Ubay. The Becker theme is thanks to John DeMello and our swingin' theme music, courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation.